0: Thanks, Andrew. Fantastic. I'll tell you what, just as we are moving into things this morning, I just want to. Um, we just to pull that volume down. Thanks, Rob. Um, uh, Stuart, where are you? Stand up for a second. Now, Stuart, he is our new children's pastor here at NCR. Did you know about that? He started. We gave him a great week to start in the office and uh, this afternoon Stu and Jules and the kids are going to be up at a um, a park in Ringwood North. Um, What's the name of it Stu? It's the reserve is Mount Alpine, McAlpin, McAlpine um, on Wonga Road at 12 o'clock and if you would like to meet our new children's leader pastor then you can hang out with them for a picnic. You can tell them about how um, incredibly gifted your child is and why they need to go up in sort of grades in uh, NCR Kids and whatnot. or you can simply if you don't want to be part of that it would be kind of a bit awkward but they could have a picnic by themselves um, up there in McAlpin and Wonga Road but I would encourage you to get up there and just encourage you and say hi to him so thanks you. the other thing I want to announce this morning is Matt where are you just stand up Matt Matt uh, with, with uh, Lucy and Tim transitioning Matt is going to be our new um, youth leader. We're still working some other things out, so that's great. Stay tuned for some more things coming up in the weeks ahead, just as we nut through that sort of system together as well. And the last thing I want to say this morning is that before I jump into some other things, NCR regroup nights, if you have not been along to one of our vision nights. We've got four this year. We're going to actually have one each term. And so for those people who find it hard to come to our midweek Thursday, we're going to say, could you come along to one? One a term where we do a regroup. And the first one's going to be the 20th of February. So would you please put that in your diary and what we're going to be doing on the 20th of February, 7.30 to 9.00. Talk about some structural changes for the year ahead. Talk about some things for Sunday mornings, what they might mean. And we really want some of your input and conversation about that. And so care will be provided, but the 20th of February for now, if you can make a mental note, don't tell me I didn't told, tell you so. Is that all right? Fantastic. Okay. This week has been a hard week. Has anyone found it hot? Yeah. Thank you. We sweltered, we want to, we want to thank uh, publicly uh, my mother and father. We went to grandma and grandpa's for four days because they had evaporative cooling. In fact, we just randomly called people up in a telephone book asking, do you have a pool? We will be around. And I know with the hot weather that I am dead set sure that our fuses were a little bit shorter. So what I'd like us to do this morning before we get going is practice what we're going to be talking about. So would you please turn to someone that you know next to you and just say to them, I'm sorry. Will you do that right now? I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I am convinced that um, that you probably should have said sorry this week because you got a little bit grumpy and a bit short and. You should do some making up this morning at NCR Sunday at 10. In fact, if you didn't say sorry just then and you don't think you needed to say sorry, you probably did. In fact, you'll probably offend someone this morning. Maybe your head is too big and the person behind you can't see forward or you're going to be making some noises or you've got a funny idiosyncratic cough or something It's going to annoy someone. So you might as well just keep saying sorry to people around you so we can practice that this morning. The second thing I want to say is this month, we're talking about getting smart and wisdom. There's a whole part of the Bible that's devoted to um, wisdom for life. And King Solomon, a great king, wise king, 3,000 years ago, and other people contributed to this this body of, of literature known as the Proverbs, wise sayings about life. Don't be caught out doing a foolish thing. That's what it's really all about. This Christmas, we were up at Bright, actually, Poor Punker and I've been going there to Poor Punker Caravan Park, tenting, camping. ...for about 14 years now, and uh, there's a bunch of folk from NCR that come up and join us as well. It was one of our last days there together as a group, and we went to Pawpunkka Swimming Hole. And I went to park my car in the normal place that I park my car, and uh, I noticed that there was a little mound of dirt there... And I thought, this is, this is a little bit unusual. This has not been here for the last 14 years. And so I thought, I know what's on the other side of this little mound of dirt. There's solid soil. And so I just pushed my car in like it should normally be. It's been that way last 12 months and the 12 months before that and 12 months before that. And I put my car in and I noticed as I went over the little mound, I had no idea that, that there was a bog. There was like a, a little wetland just on the other side. And as soon as I put my wheel over... The front wheel, left-hand side, sunk right up to the chassis. (laughs) So, what did everyone else do that was there from NCR? Yeah, they did more than laugh, though. They pulled adults. Grown adults pulled out their iPhones. They pulled out their iPhones. Shame on you. And they started taking photographs and they started filming. And so I look around for help and there's these people like this, adults. And so there was just these two guys next door with a four-wheel drive, literally parked next door and they said, we'll help you out, mate. The only ones who offered help were total strangers. And so they got their equipment, they pulled it and they said, we will pull you out. And so the filming people loved this. <clears throat> so there's this four-wheel drive pulling me out of the car park that I've parked there for the last 14 years. You know what the worst thing was? Those parents, those people who were parents there were irresponsible because they allowed their young kids to hang over the side of the bars at the park and I copped it from the kids of NCR. (laughs) There were comments like, seriously, oh, you've got your car, bogged, have you, Troy, you can't drive, Troy, (laughs) you're a terrible driver, Troy for minutes, not just seconds, minutes and did one adult come and say, stop that, you'd be respectful to the minister of the church? (laughs) Not one. So, I want you, if you were there to say to me, sorry, okay? (laughs) I want it written, apology. (laughs) Thank you. In fact, Sibylla, I forgot you were the only person who helped. She went to her husband's car and pulled out this really sturdy rope because the rope the first rope on there, the guys that tried to pull it out snapped. So can everyone put their hands together for Sibylla? She is the only nice person in this entire place that was up there at Christmas time. We're talking about sorry this morning. In fact, there's a there's a passage in the Bible and it's recorded in Matthew chapter eighteen where one of Jesus' followers comes to him with this simple question. He says, Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister? And the assumption is that they've come back, the brother or sister has come back to the person and said they're sorry. How many times they Peter says, must I forgive. Now, he's thinking of how many times must I forgive so I fulfil all righteousness with God, can wipe my hands legally, lawfully, I'm clean, I'm done with it. How many times do I have to say that I forgive the person? Seven times, says Peter. Jesus looks back at Peter and he says, seven times? Peter, this has got, this is my words now, this has got nothing to do with how many times must I be right before God so I can wipe my hands and legally be right before God. He says, in fact, you must forgive your brother or sister if they come back to you and they say, sorry, you must forgive them 70 times seven. In fact, by that, Jesus is just shifting it. So, everyone's jaws are dropping at this moment. What do you mean 70 times seven? It's as though Jesus was saying, you must cultivate in your life, just like God, a heart, a compassionate heart, to forgive wow in fact jesus goes on and he says i've got a story i want to tell you in fact uh, other people must have been listening at this stage he said there was once a king and he wanted to reclaim the debts of his servants servants had been indebted to the king so he said he called one servant in who owed him and it's at this moment that everyone knows jesus is using exaggeration He said, this particular person owes him 10,000 talents, which is equivalent to, let's say, a million dollars or a billion dollars in our terms today. One of the servants owes the king a billion dollars. Now, at this stage, everyone goes, we know you're using exaggeration, Jesus, because no king in his own fit mind would allow his servant to actually get away with a billion dollars of debt, unless he works for, is it Barings Bank or something like that? And so, the king says, I I want to actually call my servant's debt in now. He says, I will claim my billion dollars and if the servant can't pay it, what I want the servant to do is to be thrown into jail, to be sold, all of his assets liquidated, even his children and his family in order to reclaim as much of this debt as I can. Well, as soon as that servant hears that the king is reclaiming the billion dollars, He runs to the king because he has no way to pay this debt. And he falls to his feet and he says to the king, will you forgive me? Will you be patient with me? I'll pay it back. It'll take a long time, but please don't do what you're going to do. And it's at that moment the king does something extraordinary. And so jaws are still dropping at this stage in the story because Jesus says the king actually has compassion for the man beyond just the be patient with me. He does two things. He not only says, I'll be patient with you, but he does something quite radical and he says, I will forgive you of your billion dollar debt. It's white. Wow. You can imagine the servant leaving the king's palace at that moment. Going, I can't believe this. The king has been incredibly gracious to me. I fell on my knees and he was compassionate. This is unbelievable. But he said, from that moment on, Jesus says, that servant went to another servant, a fellow servant, who owed him a hundred bucks. And he said to that fellow servant, that that is the the one that had just been forgiven of the billion dollars. He raced up to that servant, grabbed him by the throat and he said, you owe me a hundred bucks. You pay it now or I'm putting you in jail until your friends and your family pay the debt. And when everyone else, all the other servants hear about what this wicked servant has done, they go back to the king. Word gets back to the king. And the king at this stage, he gets angry. He calls that wicked servant back into him and he says, I forgave you a billion dollars, but you couldn't forgive your own fellow servant a hundred dollars? You foolish wicked slave. You foolish wicked servant. What I'm going to do now is throw you into jail The jailers will have their way with you and you're going to have to pay back every last cent because nothing of what I've just done for you has had an impact on you at all. And this is where Jesus gets serious in this moment. He says, so too will your heavenly Father do to you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Wow. Wow. You see, I wonder when we start off this whole theme of sorry today, the place that we need to begin with is this word that was just sung about, this word called grace. That is, has there ever been a time in your life where someone has been gracious to you? You have done something wrong, maybe something morally, maybe just some foolish word. You've put someone else's nose out of joint. You've gone to them and you've said, I'm sorry, or they've even come to you before you've even said it. They've said, I forgive you and the slate's been wiped clean. I mean, that is a perfect example of what the Bible calls grace. In fact, it's the picture that Jesus just described then, that there is a king, and that king was being likened to God, who is gracious. That is, when someone falls on their knees and says, I was wrong, I blew it, I did the wrong thing, will you forgive me? That there is a king, there's a God who's more than willing, because his heart's filled with compassion, and is just, that we'll actually often do more than what we ever imagine. Gracious. I wonder here if it's easier for us to say sorry when we've experienced grace in our lives. When we've encountered that from someone else. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus here this morning. Maybe you're exploring who God is. There's a profound truth in the Bible and it goes like this. For even whilst we were still sinners, that is, for even whilst people shook their fists at God and said, I don't want anything to do with you, even whilst people said, God, I want to have nothing to do with you, I want to live my way, I don't care about who you are, I don't care about what you do, I don't care at all. Whilst you lived your own way, whilst you fell short of your own standards and God's, whilst you were still sinners, it says, Jesus Christ died for you. When you didn't care, when you didn't know, when you consciously or unconsciously did things that fell short of your own standards and your own records and hurt other people, it also hurt God. And he said, I don't, I, even before hearing a sorry from your lips, I sent my son to die for you. So that anyone who reaches out to Jesus will be forgiven, washed clean, set free, started again fresh with God. That, my friends, is grace. I wonder if we've experienced some form of graciousness in our own lives, if it's easy for us to say sorry. Because when I find myself wanting to dig my heels in, when I'm finding myself wanting to bite my tongue and refuse to say sorry to someone else, even when I know I've done something wrong, there's two things. Well, there's first thing, one thing I forget. I forget that I've fallen short and I've failed and that I've put other people's noses out of joint I forget the times when someone's been gracious to me. And the second thing I do, I find myself doing all the time, is that I have the capacity to blame. Have you ever been caught up in the blame game? Has any, someone ever cornered you and you find yourself just automatically saying, "Well, it wasn't me, it was them. They did this, they did that. If they hadn't have done this, if they had have done that, the reason I did this was because blaming everyone else. When it comes to the whole idea of sorry, I think there's two questions we need to ask ourselves when we're digging our heels in and biting our tongues. We need to ask ourselves, are there times that I've failed and fallen short of others and I've been forgiven? Remember them. And secondly, what should I take responsibility for instead of blaming someone else? That, I think, would place us in a good stead now to talk about sorry. Sorry. Some time ago, I was having a conversation with a person. It was getting a little bit heated, a little bit tense. And they were talking to me about things that I'd said and done that I had no intention of hurting them or putting them down or making them feel lesser, but my words had. And I was kind of feeling like a little bit justified in that. I don't think I did the wrong thing. And they were saying, well, actually, this is what hurt me. And I remember it went on for about a half an hour, back and forth, back and forth, until I started to think to myself, what does this person need from me? And so I can't quite remember at this point, did I actually say it or did I think that aloud? Let's say I said it. I said, what do you need from me? And they stopped and they paused. And they said, I just need you to say Sorry. And I thought to myself in that moment, I can say sorry. I am sorry that the things that I unintentionally said and did hurt you. I am sorry that you took it that way. And I'm sorry that I came across with that tone that you actually felt that and experienced that. And I'm sorry that you've actually been feeling that way for a long time. So I meant it. And I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all those things. In fact, I'm thinking, how do I do that in the future so that I don't wind up in this same situation? As well as a little bit begrudgingly at the time. And something happened in that moment that I thought, wow. Some of us are just waiting for sorries. And it's powerful. Because in that moment, the demeanor changed, just like that. But sometimes the person went, Huh. Someone's acknowledged it someone's actually named it, someone's actually validated what I'm feeling, they've said sorry. It was like a a key had been opened to a door, as quick as that, and we could both walk through it together. I thought that is the power of sorry. When someone utters it and says it, and they mean it, it can have all kinds of powerful, lasting, good Outcomes, it paves ways forward. Such a simple word, but yet such powerful action and outcomes come from it. So let me ask you this. Do you find it hard to say sorry? When's the last time you said sorry? Because I know that sorry is one of the hardest things to say for all the reasons that Ruth was talking about this morning. Did you learn it from someone? Do you need to learn it? Do you need to say it? Do you need to understand that sorry about that, chief? Sorry about that, chief. Can have huge ramifications and positive outcomes in your life and other people's lives as well. You know, there's two people in the Bible, two ladies, who actually have a place of their own because of a quarrel they're having. And I think this is a little bit humorous because there's a writer in the Bible by the name of Paul who actually records this. So 2,000 years later, we can actually read about two ladies who are having an argument as part of a church community. And and Paul, one of the writers, actually goes ahead and says these words, I plead with you, Odia." And I plead with syntake to be of the same mind in the Lord. That is, if you follow Jesus and if you know God and if you're actually of the same mind in that, what I ask you to do is to be of the same mind and sort it out. I think this is a little bit humorous. In fact, one day when I go to heaven, I'd actually like to meet these two ladies and say, have you sorted it out? Because I think it's quite funny that here we have 2,000 years later someone's argument has been recorded for all time's sake in the Bible. So I'd like to meet them and say, where's you, you Where's Syntag? I'd like to, did you guys work it out? Because part of actually following Jesus and knowing God is that the expectation is that if God is gracious like that king, we want you to do the same. And so that's why in another place, Peter, one of the other writers, a follower of Jesus, he says these words, above all, Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, I've discovered in my life if someone genuinely knows you care about them and have their best interests at heart, they will generally have a long rope for you. And even when you fail and even when you fall short, if they genuinely know that you have their best interests at heart and you're working hard for them and you want to give them and you want to do the best that you can and sometimes you fail genuinely. I find that there's a whole bunch of sins and failures and uh, overcoming shortcomings that people are ready to actually slide. Not, all, not continuously, there needs to be some change, but love. In fact, the ancients give us three ideas when it comes to this whole idea of sorry from the book of Proverbs that we can take with us throughout a week. First one is this, say sorry. <laughs> be a person who doesn't find it all that difficult to say sorry. Here's some wisdom. My child, says one of the ancients, one of these wise sayings, my child, if you have put up security for a friend's debt, let's qualify that, or agreed to guarantee the debt of a stranger. Let's say someone's come along, you don't know them very well, and they've said, I've got myself into this pickle and I'm needing someone else to cover me for it and it's this amount of money and I'm wondering if you could go up as surety for it and you go back to their employer or someone else, whoever they're in debt to, and you say, I've got it covered. If they can't cover it for you, I'll cover it. My child, if you have put up security for a friend's debt or agreed to guarantee the debt of a stranger, if you have trapped yourself by your agreement and are caught by what you said, namely, that was a dumb thing to do because you don't know the person, you don't know their character, you don't know who they are, what they're on about. They're probably going to leave you high and dry. Follow my advice and save yourself. For you have placed yourself at your friend's mercy. Now swallow your pride. Go and beg to have your name erased. Don't put it off. Do it now. Don't rest until you do. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from a net. Now that's good, solid, wise advice. What he's doing, if you have made a fool, done a foolish thing, Go straight to the person you've done the foolish thing for and about and beg, plead for your release from that foolish thing, wise thing to do. You can apply this to all kinds of situations, including times when you have failed and fallen short, saying, sorry, go and do it. Fix it up. Work it out. I was talking to someone this week. In fact, before Christmas, they're a business person here as part of NCR. They said, man our biggest client in our service industry, our biggest client called up to say that they are unhappy with us as a business and we could lose our biggest, biggest client because of it. We have not provided the service we said we were going to provide. We haven't done that. We haven't, And, and, and so they're thinking of pulling the plug. Well, he said, the first thing I did as the manager, I actually went to the place and looked at the work that we said we were going to cover for them. He said, I looked at the work and our work was substandard. The next, that, that day or the next day, I was meeting with the, the people who were servicing this account, the, the people who owned this account, the people that we were saying, we were going to deliver a good product. He said, I went in to, to meet with them and the first thing the big boss said was, have you seen the job? What do you think about it? He said, right at that very moment, I wasn't going to defend us. I wasn't going to try and gloss it over. I just simply said, you know what? I've seen the work. It's substandard. I'm appalled by it. It's not good. I'm sorry. He said, at that very moment, he said, I was looking at the person's eyes. They're all going kind of googly. He said, it, it changed the whole negotiation. He said, now, if that person thought I was putting on the sorry, and I wasn't really sorry. They would have seen through it. He said, but I was sorry. And he said, that shifted the whole thing dramatically. I asked him last night, how's that client going? He said, it's looking positive, it's not in the bag, but there's a good chance we will retain that client, all because someone is prepared to fall on the sword and say, sorry. Isn't that what we long for sometimes in our culture? Someone that's stopped blaming everyone else and just say, sorry. The second thing the ancients say, say sorry, is this, avoid being Sorry. There's some ways in which we can avoid even having to be sorry and it usually has to do with our words. So, here's two insights from the ancients. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. The ancients would say, if you're someone who just spouts off before thinking if you could just decrease the volume of words, if you could just learn to close your mouth and say less, you would be doing well. Have you ever met someone who probably just just says it and they find themselves catching up after their words? Come on, have you, have you, have you met someone like that? I, I live in a household where there's teenagers now starting to come. And what I've learned... Is, is not much but the little bit I have learnt is that I find that sometimes there's certain people who you might say you know what if, if you keep going and if you cross this line it's going to get worse for you and you know what happens sometimes they cross the line they keep talking and, and then you say again you know what if you would just stop talking at this point you won't get in any further and you know what happens sometimes these are other people's families these are not mine I, I'm just likening it to my own. No, they, then they step over and, they keep, and you just say, if you would just stop talking at this moment, it will... Have you ever met someone like that? The ancients would say, if you want to avoid saying sorry, learn to say less and be in control of your tongue. The third thing the ancients would say is that when you are sorry, be sorry mean it. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. More often than not, when someone actually goes to someone else and says, sorry, it's such an unusual thing that's heard these days and they're genuine, more often than not, there's mercy and compassion on the other side. In fact, that's the way it is. With God. Say sorry, avoid sorry, and be sorry. Man's gonna come up in a moment. I'm gonna invite them to, to sing a song, a song of worship to God. One that shifts our ideas from just ourselves being our own strength to God being the strength. You know, I heard about a couple and they'd been married for only a year or two. And they went into a counselor's office, maybe someone like Ruth, and they were so hard at it. And they were blaming one another for everything. It's that person's fault. They did this, they did that, they did this, they did that. In fact, this, this, part, this, this minister counsellor said actually to them, what I'd like you to do is just stop for a moment. And I'd like you to just humour me. I want you to go to two different corners of the room. Would you do that? And so this couple, they separated, this young couple in in love and marriage, and they stood at two separate parts of the room. And he said, now, what I'd like you to do is is just humor me a little bit longer. I'd like you to look at the light in the middle of my room. And what I'd like you to do is try and get as close to the light as you can. Try and get physically as close to the light as you can, but don't take your eyes off it. Well, after a few moments, they started to walk towards one another and walk towards the light and walk towards the light and walk towards the light until, sure enough, there they were, face-to-face looking up, shoulder-to-shoulder, embracing, connected. And that minister counsellor said this, what I'd like you to do, Instead of finding fault with one another, what I'd like you to do is apply this spiritual reality and truth to your lives. Stay close to the light. And when you stay close to the light, it'll draw you closer to one another. What he was trying to say is, stay close to the God in heaven who gives you his graciousness to forgive and to say sorry and to work it out. draw upon his power. There are some of you here this morning who are waiting for a sorry that won't come. Who are waiting for a sorry and you wish that someone would say sorry, you wish to that person, but they've died, they've passed on, they've moved on, they don't care and you're still waiting. And you are caught up saying, God, I wish there would be a sorry, but it's not going to come and it's got you stuck. Well, I want to say these things to you. Just one word, one passage from the Bible and it says this. When they hurled insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, that is to God who judges justly. One day the Bible says, we're all going to actually be held accountable to God for how we have lived in this life and there is one judge who will judge, judge, judge justly. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I wish there's a sorry that it hasn't come, Jesus would say, I understand you. But would you entrust yourself to a God who cares, who wants to give himself and to help you and to heal you, even when there is no sorry, but one day justice will come. One day justice will come. Do you hear the words of this song? I invite you to respond to God as you will be Engage with us and asking Him to help us with songs